so good to see you here this morning. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, we are delighted that you've joined us. If you're worshiping with us on SOCC.TV, we're glad that you've joined us. We're in this series called Live Like Jesus, and we've come to a uh, six word pictures to help give us a glimpse and an insight into the life of Christ. Because if we're going to live like Jesus, we got to know who Jesus is. And if we're going to help others live like Jesus, we have to know who Jesus is to help them know who Jesus is. Last week we talked about the word reveal and we talked about the fact that we're to reveal Christ to a lost and dying world. Part of that comes through deflection, deflecting the attention off of us and putting it on Christ. Some of it comes from reflecting Jesus, the light of the world, so that the rest of the world can see. Today is the second word and it is the word speak. And we go back to John 17, which is this prayer that Jesus is praying on behalf of his disciples and on us. And in John 17, verse 7, it says, Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. For I gave them the words. Now, oftentimes in the original language of Scripture, they have more than one word that we in the English translate as a single word. This is true of the term word. The most common expression is logos, which doesn't mean just the name of something. It means the whole thought and concept behind that something. As a matter of fact, when John begins his first chapter of his gospel, what we call the prologue, John uses that very term, logos, in verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We know that word here refers to Jesus as he goes through the text. Jesus was the eternal word, not just the name of an object, but the entire mental concept that goes into that idea. He is the living logos. But logos is not the word that is used here. It is the second word that is translated thusly that Jesus is talking about, and it is the word rhema. And the word rhema means to speak and utterance. So Jesus is basically saying, Father, I spoke your words to them. And they accepted those words. It is about speaking into a specific situation. Now, we seldom look at this aspect of communication. We're quick to point out in the Christian life that actions are more important than words. And we quote such pithy statements as, Preach Christ, if necessary, use words. Even Jesus said, let your light shine so they will see, he doesn't say anything about hearing, so they will see your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. So consequently, we have sort of, I think, through the years, diminished the role of ever speaking out or speaking up for our faith. We, we 
we believe that our actions are more important than our words. We console ourselves with this thought. It's better for me to keep my mouth shut and let people think I'm foolish than to open my mouth and remove all doubt. That does not mean, however, that we are exempt from speaking out for Christ. Now, it is true. It is true that if your behavior and your words don't match up, that's not good. That makes us hypocrites. And when we are hypocrites, our words do more harm than they do good. And it's also true. If we don't have something important to say or to add to the conversation or to contribute, silence may be the smarter response. After all, I've never had to apologize for something I didn't say. But Jesus knew when to speak and when to be silent. There was a time when Jesus courageously and boldly spoke to the religious leaders who were nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. And he said to them, you're like a brood of snakes. You're like whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. That's pretty strong language. But when King Herod and when the religious leaders and when Pilate just hours before the cross, all demanded that Jesus give an answer. Jesus remained silent. Jesus allowed the truth to vindicate him. Sometimes we need to boldly speak the truth so that it forces others to confront the truth. And sometimes we just need to be silent and let truth vindicate us. But when it comes to speaking up and to speaking out for Jesus, we need to do that. And the first thing that we think of in this whole concept, is, it's so simple, it seems like it need, doesn't need to be said, but I'm going to say it anyway. Speak. It takes more than just actions. Speak. Now, to be able to speak is a genuine joy. It is a privilege. And if you think I'm overstating it, you talk to somebody who's lost the ability to, to talk and see how sad they are about that. Have you ever stopped to think how harsh this world would be if we could not make a sound? There would be no uplifting words. There would be no inspiring songs. There would be no infectious laughter. This world would be a sad place. But God in his greatness designed and created us with the glorious capacity to speak. And do you realize, do you realize that when we speak, it requires about a hundred different muscles in the chest, neck, jaw, tongue, and lips working together precisely to be able to form words. Every spoken word has its own unique arrangement of muscle movements and the information necessary for those muscle movements is stored in the speech portion of your brain. I am just overwhelmed by God's design. Now, men's vocal cords are usually thicker than a woman's, thus it creates deeper tones in men, usually, than it does in women. And the generation of speech involves the lungs, the vocal cords within the larynx, and the articulators, which include the tongue, palate, lips, cheeks, and more. The lungs provide an airstream that moves over the the larynx causing the vocal folds or the vocal cords to vibrate. Pitch and tone are determined by the muscles of the larynx, adjusting the tension and the length of the cords. And the vocal cords work in tandem with the articulators in order to produce a wide range of sounds. And the sounds that we make when we speak 
indicate moods, emotions, or emphasis. Now get this, get this. During normal speech, the vocal cords oscillate more than 100 times per second. Isn't that awesome? But when we sing, they move 400 times per second. I don't know how, I, don't, I can't fathom something moving 400 times in a second. But when we sing, now some of you not so much, but, <laughs> but on average, all right, 400 times per second. Oh, folks, just knowing that alone is why we should speak up and speak out for him. Why we should lift our voices in praise to the majesty of God for creating something so profound as our ability to speak. So when Jesus is praying for his disciples, he's praying that we will have the courage to speak. Now, you may be saying, well, I just can't get up in front of a crowd and speak. I just can't do that. I get that. That's understandable. 74%, three quarters of Americans suffer with glossophobia, which is the fear of public speaking. Did you know? Did you know that most people rate the fear of public speaking higher than the fear of death? Given that statistic, Jerry Seinfeld once quipped, he said, in other words, at a funeral, the average person would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. I don't know that that's true, but, but there is an understandable anxiousness about speaking in front of people. I've spent my entire life speaking in settings like this at church, but there is never a time, there is never a time when I am not anxious or fearful about doing so. So I understand the fear and I understand the statistics now, sometimes we, when we're afraid of getting up and talking with people, it's because we believe we have nothing to say. And if I got up here on a Sunday morning without scripture, I, 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 well, I wouldn't. Because God's word is the only foundation that gives me a right to stand here and speak. And apart from that, what I have to say is not worth anything. But you say, well, well what do I say to people? Whether it's two or three or whether it's two or three hundred or two or three thousand, what, what do I say? Well, the best thing is your story. There's something about the way God wired us that we absolutely love stories. I can tell sometimes when I'm preaching along and I'm into like different things and all of a sudden I'll come to a story, everybody just kind of sits up, they lean in, they listen more because we love stories. God wired us that way because he's got a story to tell and he wants us to listen to it. So when, when you've got to speak up for Christ, tell your story. That's what most people want to know anyway. They want to know your story. They want to know what difference has Jesus made in your life? Why, sh why would you be a Christian? Why should I follow Christ? I want to hear from you what your story means. The Hebrew University of Jerusalem concluded that narrative, which is storytelling, determines listening. Sharing meaningful stories makes people listen well and decreases the feeling of social anxiety. In other words, when you tell your story, people become engaged in listening. And when you tell your story, your own fear and nervousness begins to evaporate. So speak. Speak. It may change somebody else's eternity. Now, now that said, we also need to learn to speak in the right way and at the right time. So 
let me give you some ideas about that. Here's the first thing. Speak courageously. Everywhere Jesus went, he spoke courageously. Now, now folks, it's one thing to speak in in an environment where everybody's in one accord. But quite another to speak when your views may be in the minority. It has been wisely said, sometimes silence is golden and sometimes it's just plain yellow. It takes courage to sometimes speak when it may not be the message people want to hear. Can I remind you, there has never been a time in church history when courage wasn't necessary. Uh, It's true today. And as I see things transforming and changing in our own culture, the message of Christ is not always one that's quickly embraced. The message of the church is now often seen with skepticism. And so it takes, I think, even more courage to speak out for Christ. But when I'm nervous and when I'm afraid... I think back to the story of Peter and John in the fourth chapter of Acts. Peter and John, this is after the resurrection. The church has already been established and it is growing. And Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray one afternoon when they encounter a crippled man who wants money from them as he is begging. They don't have money to give him, but they give him something incredibly more important. They give him the ability to walk again. So the man's going to be able to make his own money now. He's going to be able to do things that he could not do. And he's going to be able to provide for his family. And he is so excited. He begins to run and leap and jump and shout with praise. He draws a crowd because of all this going on. Because they recognize him as the cripple. The former cripple. And, and, and with the crowd coming together, Peter does what any preacher worth his salt would do. you got a crowd, you're going to preach. So he does. And that draws the religious leaders who are very angry at the preaching of Jesus Christ. And so they draw Peter and John aside, who've both been speaking there, and the man. And they begin to ask questions about this. And Peter's response is, I had to preach Christ. Jesus is the one that has made this miracle possible. I had to tell that story. And then Peter adds something else. Now listen to the boldness of this statement. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Wow. Peter's saying, I don't care what you believe. I just want you to know here today, if if you don't know Jesus, you have a prayer of life after death. That's what Peter says to the religious leaders who have called him aside. Verse 13, notice this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That is such a powerful moment, powerful statement, but it didn't end there. In verse 18, it says, Then they called them in again, and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Well, you judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Wow, what an inspiration. They didn't respond by determining to merely live good lives. They spoke. In the first place, they were courageous. And the part that I love about this, when I, when I get afraid, when, when I'm anxious, and I look at this story, I realize these are ordinary guys, just like us. I'm an ordinary man, you're, an ordinary, you're ordinary people out there. We can do it. 
because they did it and they did it courageously. And Peter says, you know, you, you, you can figure out whether it's right or wrong in your book, but I'm here to tell you, I can't help but speak for Christ. So speak, speak courageously. And it's so easy to look around us at all the problems and the tragic moments of recent days and grow even more fearful about not only our world, but about speaking out in our faith. That is not who or what God called us to be. I've always liked this, this uh, quote from Zig Ziglar. Zig Ziglar wrote, he said, fear is the dark room where negatives are developed. Now, I know that goes back to a days of developing film in a dark room. But I'm here to tell you, we don't live in a dark room. We are reflectors of the light. Remember, we live in the light. Paul wrote to the young preacher Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. When we've been with Jesus, courage comes. So let me ask you this question. Is the courage of your faith in you stronger than your fear of the circumstances around you? Claire Booth Luce once said, courage is the ladder on which all other virtues mount. <laughs> Actor John Wayne said, courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. Billy Graham said, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are stiffened. I have such deep respect and utter regard for our international students here who embrace the faith and put their trust in Jesus only to return to their homes and cultures that are opposed to the Christian faith. Our students will need great courage to be faithful to Jesus in lands where he is not welcome. And we need to pray for them that they will have the strength and the courage to remain true. And here's what I want to tell you. If they can live for Christ in countries where their lives are in danger, then can we not speak up for Christ in our culture? When fear gets you down, remember these words from the Lord through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 41. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. God has our back, so speak courageously. Now, there's a right way and a wrong way to speak. Speak the truth in love, remember, but speak courageously. Here's something else. Speak concisely. <laughs> Jesus never wasted a word. Jesus didn't ramble or prattle on. Jesus chose every word carefully. And when you read them, every word has poignant meaning. You see, being chatty, verbose, and long-winded doesn't take a lot of thought. It's easy to ramble and never say anything important. Do you know people who, when they're telling you something, go into way too much detail? You know the kind of person I'm, I'm talking about? The person who says, oh, I had the scare of my life this last week on the way to the grocery store. You know, the one on 6th and Jefferson. Or, or, or is it 7th and Jefferson? It, it's, it's red brick, and they have white and black checkered signage all around the building. Oh, every Wednesday they have a sale, and the deli, it's the best deli in town. Have you ever tried their black forest ham? It is so good. 
You know, you know the kind of people I'm talking about? So by the time you get to the Black Forest Ham, you don't even care what the scare of their life was that week because you've been lost in the details of stuff that doesn't matter. This is a hard lesson for most of us to learn. We think everybody wants all the details. This is an especially hard lesson for preachers to learn who are seldom accused of being concise. If you struggle to be concise... <laughs> Perhaps you'll enjoy this video as much as I do. It's a little, little bit tongue-in-cheek, but <laughs> it gets to the point. I really like it. Watch this. This day you fought with honor. This day you vanquished those that mean to smite us. The Dark Lord forged his enemies to wreak their terror, but we persevered and slayed them forthwith. In the years to come, they will sing our victory song as we sung for our forefathers. Sorry. Fa Sorry. Uh, just one thing I thought I might bring up. Whatever is it, brother of the watch, fellow kinsman? Yeah, this. Honored knight of the third yeah, men. This is, is what I want to talk about. We are using way too many words, guys. How doth thou mean, proud warrior of the north? Brave son of yeah, the... Ar there. That's what I was like. We could really speed things up around here if, if we just cut down on the wordage. How so, brother of the cloth? Defender of the north. Well, like in battle today, uh -huh. um, when you yelled, um, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, noble horde, raise thy shields from yonder field of battle approaches, is it thy mm -hmm. enemy's arrows? arrows? Yeah. yeah, next time, just yell duck, <laughs> I reckon. You know, I mean, a lot, a lot of us died before you finished talking. So... Not speak in such an elongated way for the, for the sake of the time. Exactly. Actually, and, and just while we're on the topic, we were just talking about this morning. Yeah. Um, the tales that we tell, the one about the ring and the sh short, hairy foot people, mm -hmm. maybe that could be just one story, you know, instead of six, three-hour, unnecessarily long stories. Some merit you may have in your words, my brother. I see how my verbose retelling may elongate the... I don't, I don't think you, you do. No? Um, yeah, even this, the, the victory speech you're making, I, I, I don't know, I, I just think maybe just say we won or something. You know, you guys, yeah? Uh, yeah. Your words have resonated deep in my mind, my brother. Again, I don't, I think, they, I don't think they have, because you're still, he's still doing it. We won! Yeah! <laughs> That's great, isn't it? <laughs> you get the point. Sometimes we put too much into it. So, so let me give us a few helpful hints here when we're trying to develop what we're going to speak to a world that needs to hear the core. Stay on target. Don't ramble too much detail and the eyes will glaze over and the ears will refuse to listen. Stay on target. And then choose your words wisely. The right word matters, so think before you speak. The famous author Mark Twain wrote, he said, the difference between the almost right word and the right word is really a large matter. Tis the difference between the lightning bug and the lightning. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 25, 11, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. And then be gracious. 
when you speak. Don't talk down to your listener. Don't be condescending when there is disagreement. Give your listener time to respond. And when they do, listen intently and considerately to what they have to say. And always, always speak the truth in love. I don't know who said it first, but it is really good advice. Speak in such a way that others love to listen to you. Listen in such a way that others love to speak to you. Speak concisely. And here's the last one. Speak encouragingly. No one ever spoke as encouragingly as Jesus. Everywhere he went, everything he had to say, even when he had to deal with sin, there was encouragement in the voice of Jesus with those who were willing to listen. Now, again, the religious leaders who didn't want to listen, Jesus confronted them with the truth pretty harshly. But anybody that was looking to follow, his words always lifted up. Pat Morley wrote, he said, encouragement is food for the heart and every heart is a hungry heart. And when Jesus came to the people, he fed their hearts with encouragement. Encouragers pour hopeful words and bright smiles into the dull, overcast moments of life. Do you know where we get our English word encourage? It comes to us from 15th century France and is the combination of two words. En, E-N, meaning to put into, and courage, meaning heart. In Western thought, the heart has long been viewed as the seat of emotions and represents our innermost feelings. Literally then, the word encourage means to put or to pour into the heart. This matter of encouragement should not be taken lightly. This is no obscure biblical principle. In the New Testament, the word that is most often translated encourage is found 109 times. Now, it's also translated urge, exhort, invite, and comfort, but it always describes the same function where a believer is building up another believer in their walk of faith. The original word means to come alongside in order to give aid or help. And biblical encouragement is a lot different than how we use it today. A lot of times we equate encouragement with a compliment. Wow, that was a great shot out of the rough. Or, wow, you look stunning in that bridal gown. Those are shallow thoughts compared to what biblical encouragement is all about. Encouragement in the New Testament goes much deeper. It refers to what a believer says or what a believer does to help another become a stronger Christian. It's more than a compliment. It's building up one another in Christ. And it's not an option. Hebrews 3.13 says, but encourage, that's a command, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Hebrews 10.25, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Perhaps you have uh, read John Ortberg's analogy of encouragement. I have Love this through the years. He writes that there are two different kinds of people in the world. There are balcony people and there are basement people. And what he means by that is, is this. He said, the balcony people are those who are always viewing your life from a great perspective and shouting their encouragement to you. They believe in you. Yeah, they're realistic about your failures, but they know that God has a vision for you, that God can do great things in you. And when you win... Balcony people cheer for you. When you're hurting, balcony people come and pick you up 
and put you back on the right road. Everybody needs some balcony people in his or her life. A balcony person views you from the best possible perspective and encourages you with positive words. A balcony person practices the wisdom found in Proverbs 12, 25. An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. On the other hand, there are the basement people, those who live with moldy attitudes and mildewed spirits. Their words hang heavy with damp air of pessimism. The longer you're with them, the more you can feel yourself descending into their darkness. Like the basement sump pump, they just suck the joy right out of your life. They are neither lovers of people, nor are they encouragers. If you're excited, they'll provide the wet blanket. If you've found the silver lining, they'll put a cloud around it. And unfortunately, basement people are more plentiful than balcony people, even in the church. God calls us to be encouragers calls us to be balcony people who will shout to those who are running their race, who will pick them up when they fall. And I'm going to ask you this morning, are you a balcony person or a basement person? Do you shout from on, on high to help bring people up or do you pull them down with your words? Remember, re remember, our word encourage means to put or to pour into the heart. So when a friend is broken hearted, you can speak words of comfort. When a coworker is downhearted, you can come alongside to help. When a family member is heavy hearted, you can give them hope. It has been said a word of encouragement during a failure is worth more than an hour of praise after success. Balcony people, basement people, speak. Speak with encouragement. Speak with courage. Speak concisely. Speak the truth in love. But for goodness sake and for Jesus' sake, speak. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.